Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Was it tough being a junior? I mean, sure, being, I mean, I I wouldn't know who, I don't have a basis of comparison. I mean, are there ever days you say, I wish my name were David? No, I'm pretty happy with what it is. Um, I mean, if you're asking if it's hard being me, uh, it's... Well, it's brought you a unique life. Absolutely. And great opportunities and some challenges. But all in all, I feel very fortunate. So it's not so, it's not so bad. You think it I'd recommend it. (laughs) You do. You think it's very good to be the son of a, a legend. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's complicated, and it and it makes for a rich and complicated life. So, uh, but that's I think part of the puzzle to figure out in my life. Welcome to episode six of Fatal Voyage: The Death of JFK Jr. I'm your host, ex-homicide detective Colin McLaren. Up until now, we have been learning how, as the 1990s progressed. Junior swagger and self-confidence began to veer into something more like arrogance and petulance. John F. Kennedy Jr. was fearless, and some say he was very reckless, that he took extraordinary chances. There's just many occasions where people said, you know, you're going to kill yourself. What are you doing? JFK Jr. lost his temper with the press. One time in Hyannis Port, he tipped a bucket of water over a paparazzo. Another time in New York, he reached inside the car of two photographers and tried to take their keys. And how his act-first-think-later attitude not only resulted in possibly an extraordinary death threat letter sent to Senator Joe Biden in 1994, but was bolstered by the seeming reluctance of authorities to properly call Junior to account for his actions. The fact that there is no resolution to a six-month investigation where there is so much information, like you say, it stinks of a cover-up of some kind and lends credit to theories of a conspiracy that the Kennedys have control over the government, over the federal agencies. I've teamed up again with investigative journalist James Robertson to dive into the trove of hundreds of pages of buried FBI files relating to John Jr. Files we accessed through freedom of information legislation. It's a laborious, time-consuming job, but that's the very nature of detective work. We have a saying, failure to search is failure to find. And we do. We're about to uncover something even bigger than the Joe Biden conundrum. There's a um, 
Freedom of information report here, she's legit. There's no doubt about it. It's all full of badges and stamps, FBI, most of it, I think, FBI. It seems to be incredibly heavily redacted. You've got it. Have you been able to go through it? It's hard to make sense out of a single sentence here. There's so much is hidden. But if you look at redaction is designed really to be just to neutralise the document, to break down the freedom of information. And it, what it is, it's simple. It's just a black marker that goes across words and it's, it's called redaction. But if you really put the time into this, James, you can actually knit it together with the leftover words that are visible. Do you understand? Yeah, well, like, I'm, I'm looking at these pages and these are redacted by hand. This isn't a computer machine. It's no, there are no key words. It's not like a, a robot's gone through this and has redacted certain parts. And like here it says, in early 1994, authorities in Miami, and then you, you're losing two lines of text. And then it says, because of this and the possibility, and then it's blank again, could spend blank again, blank again, and had developed a way was planning A. Well, you, so, can, you can work that out, can't you? At the, at the middle, yeah. You, you, you can fill in some of the gaps. Yeah. But the specifics and the details are just not there. Just that little section there, I mean, well done. It just means that something's happening in, happened in Miami. There's been raids or something, authorities, and someone's been obviously charged or whatever, and they're looking for a way out. I mean, that's the sort of... You don't have to be Einstein. But the point is you, we've got to go through about three or 300 pages. Let's get going. Junior had made New York his home in the mid-1980s, and throughout the following decade and a half, he embraced all that the big city had to offer. Playing frisbee in Central Park, rollerblading, jogging through the streets at night, cycling everywhere across the city, hanging out in neighbourhood coffee shops. But if such behaviour seems fairly unremarkable now in New York, at that time it was a very, very different place. It more closely resembled a dark Gotham City, as these news reports illustrate. Guns have always been a part of our culture, but in the mid-80s, when crack cocaine hit the streets of cities such as New York, the rate of teens killed by guns increased 77%. Drugs, unemployment, and easy access to semi-automatic weapons turned areas like the South Bronx into war zones. New York is a city under siege, and law enforcement appears powerless to stop it. For us that lived it, it was out of control. There were record numbers of murders, you know, into the thousands. We just forget just how unsafe things were. People knew that something needed to change. His former advisor to President Clinton, Dick Morris. Yeah, it was sharply a polarized, huge crime effort, huge crime, reactionary forces trying to use the crime issue to take over the city and uh, a virtual war between cops and the community. Just stay with the one stat. Here's Andy Tillett. The New York I know today is unrecognisable from how the city was when John Jr. was living here. Crime is still a thing, obviously, but I think I read a statistic somewhere recently saying that New York is now one of the safest big cities on earth. 25 years ago, that was not the case. It was the complete reverse. There was a crack cocaine epidemic going on. There was massive problems with violence. Gun crime was out of control. Huge parts of the city were basically a no-go zone. Don't go in Central Park after dark. Don't use the subway after dark. 
1999, New York City had 2,000 homicides. Now it's below 400. And I'm talking here about the difficulties of staying safe if you're an ordinary person, a nobody. If you're John F. Kennedy Jr., a celebrity, a millionaire, a public figure, a, you know, a target, you'd be insane to do the kind of things that he was doing at that time. And yet, as Linda Massarella, who worked on the New York Post through the 1990s, explains, Junior appeared not to give a thought for his own safety, and either was not offered or turned down protection from the Secret Services. He seemed, even though his father had been murdered, his uncle had been murdered, his cousins had all died of drug overdoses, what I think gave him his strength was that he was not a drug user. He was in very good shape top form athletes and because of that he'd get up early in the morning and he had good eyesight he felt invincible because he could easily bike 80 miles in a day and then go rollerblading all around and then walk on his hands he's very athletic which gives you a sense of invulnerability True crime, mysteries, trying to get to the heart of stories that have more questions than answers is my passion. I feel compelled. It's like moving the pieces of a puzzle together. With each connection, I see more of the bigger picture. That's why I like to play Best Fiends. Best Fiends is an exciting puzzle that challenges your brain while not being too difficult. Perfect for any kind of downtime, Best Fiends lets you collect adorable characters as the story advances from level to level, and you don't need an internet connection to play. Plus, they're always putting out new themed challenges, so the game is never boring. I find myself playing Best Fiends whenever I have downtime. With over 100 million downloads, I'm clearly not the only one who's obsessed. As more of my family and friends have started playing, we've gotten into some pretty friendly competitions surrounding our progress in the game, and I'm determined to come out on top. I love that it's a fun reason to keep our text chains going while we're social distancing, too. Start playing today. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already, with new levels, events, and characters added every month. It's hours of fun right at your fingertips, and you can even play online. With over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Fellow reporter Leon Wagner also covered Junior at this time. You would think that that would petrify a young man, knowing that his uncle and his father had in fact been killed. But he never let it restrict his life. I think that the average person would not just say, say la vie and go about your business. I think that there would be a tendency to do something about it. I'd rather have a guard follow me around all the time than uh, get kidnapped. I wouldn't go to John F. Kennedy Jr. for advice from looking carefully and safely. I mean, look at how he died. There was one person concerned that Junior's behaviour was putting him at risk, and she at least tried to do something about it. He loved the attention. His mother didn't like it. His mother never liked this, that he was dating movie stars and getting all this attention. The more that he was out there in Central Park, 
running around with Madonna, running around clubbing with uh, Daryl Hannah, running around like this, the more danger he was in. Now, you remember, her husband, he was shot. So she was afraid of that stuff. She had fear. She would always interfere. And she would criticize him. She would tell him, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. And he pretty much obeyed her orders, even though he dearly didn't want to. In December 1993, following a horse riding accident, Jackie Kennedy was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. By March, the cancer had spread to a spinal cord and brain. And on May 19, 1994, she sadly passed away at home in a Manhattan apartment. She was just 64 years old. When his mother died, he was devastated. You could see him inside coming out of the elevators, wiping his face and, and trying to compose himself because he had just lost his rock. Now he was in the world by himself without his mother. His mother was always a big director. John, you must go to law school. John, you must remain classy. John, you can't date the kinds of women. He didn't have that voice anymore. He didn't have his compass anymore. John Jr. may have lived his life under the shadow of his famous father's name, but it was mother Jackie Kennedy who gave him focus and drive, and as much as she was able to, kept his feet on the ground. Leon Wagner and Linda Massarella explain. His mother died in 94, and obviously it was a blow. He, lo- he loved his mother. But on the other hand, uh, his, his mother was one of the most controlling mothers that a uh, a guy could have and she manipulated every aspect of his life that she could the pressure for him to be the next president was insane since he was a little kid he was being groomed carefully by his mother and the people who were around him that's a political family john f kennedy senior and robert kennedy senior and all of the other kids of Joe Kennedy were groomed to go into politics. So therefore, John and Robert's kids were also groomed to go into politics. John was being set up to go into politics, but first his mother wanted him to get the law degree. You really can't be president without that law degree and the knowledge of politics and the knowledge of law. So she geared it so that he would go to Brown University as an undergraduate. She let him take some acting classes, but didn't want him to, and pressured him to get the law degree. It was hard for him because he went into NYU. I think his LSAT scores were not very good, but he got into NYU because of his family connection. He had a hard time at the classes, and he had a hard time at the bar. But his mother would say, listen, once you're a lawyer, the politics will be a lot easier because they're one and the same. Pretty much every president has been a lawyer, pretty much. Like 60% of all presidents have a law degree. So that's what he was being groomed for, and that's what the law degree was for. His father had a law degree. So learn the law, be president. And it was always on the table. Jackie would always mention, well, when John goes into politics, and it was a given, because look at him. He's so good looking, he's so emphatic as well. He's got an empathy and his eyes are very clear and he's a very nice guy. He would have made a great president, really, but his heart wasn't in it. 
Suddenly bereft of the driving force his mother provided, Junior was left without someone to rein in his increasing recklessness. Here's reporter Andy Tillett. He was a huge star by now, and of course that meant he was not only a potential victim for the kinds of crime any New Yorker in the 90s might need to worry about, but given his status and his family name, he was also a definite target for terrorists, kidnappers and the Mafia. In fact, Junior had twice before been the subject of a specific planned kidnap plot. The first was when he was a boy of just 11 years of age and living on the Greek island of Scorpius with Jackie and her second husband, Aristotle Anassis. His mom had actually taken John and sister Caroline to Scorpios after Bobby Kennedy was killed in 68. She said, if they're killing Kennedys, then my children are targets. I want to get out of this country. In June 1972, eight Greek men were arrested after being found to have planned a series of robberies and abductions of Greek officials, diplomats and prominent people for ransom. Among their targets was JFK Jr. It's not known just how advanced the plot was, but it was enough to alarm Jackie, and after the death of her husband Aristotle Anassis in 1975, she returned to the States permanently with John to feel safer. Thirteen years after that attempt was foiled, Junior was once again a kidnapped target. On May the 14th, 1985, two years after Kennedy had graduated from Brown University and a year after he moved to New York, police in Herndon, Virginia, received a call from someone who FBI files from the time describe as an apparently intoxicated white male who informed them that, quote, he and seven other individuals intended on kidnapping John Kennedy that evening at 8 p.m., end quote. The man then apparently said, you know Massachusetts? Before hanging up. It's not clear just how seriously that threat was taken, though it was serious enough to be logged and filed and presumably the Kennedys themselves were informed about it. Leon Wagner explains that amazingly, despite these previous kidnap plots, Junior continued his carefree, extrovert New York lifestyle without any concessions. He was determined to live his life openly. It never influenced John's behavior. You know, he refused to knuckle under to the threats, even though his mother kept telling him that they're out to get you. I can't quite imagine what influence that would have on somebody growing up. But the answer, he just shrugged it off. He told me I just never think about it. I just go about my business and I don't think about it. He pointed out that the fact that the FBI was able to foil the plot and what have you, he said, you know, they've got my back and uh, I'm not going to worry. It didn't occur to him, though, that, that, you know, that he had lost his father and his uncle to nutjobs who didn't even have any motive, really, to make money. And the, the guys that plotted against him had a very coherent plan to get money. In the course of our research, investigative journalist James Robertson and I put in a freedom of information request with the FBI for any and all documents pertaining to John F. Kennedy Jr. 
We didn't know what we'd get back or whether any of it would be useful in understanding Junior's colourful life or sudden tragic death. But there's one thing my career has taught me. It's that a great deal of detective work is simply sifting through mountains of information in the hope of finding a golden nugget. These same files had already uncovered Junior's possible threatening letter to Senator Joe Biden. Now we're about to stumble upon something even more alarming. Well, everything in front of us here is related to JFK Jr., whether it be directly or indirectly. But this stands out. This is a big red flag for us. I think I'll probably answer my own question. The early pages here. A plot to kidnap John F. Kennedy Jr. That's why it's in the vault. That's why it's freedom of information. And this was 1995, so four years before the crash. This is serious. It's not threats to kidnap a child. This is a grown man. Yet your system, the whole newsroom system, doesn't have anything of any weight on this as a news story. It's not known, is it? Do you know about this? I mean, there are murmurings that the the documents themselves have been spoken about, but nobody knows any sufficient details. Nobody knows what really happened here. This is this is brand new. We're going to knit together 300 pages of redacted text. Well, I think the first thing we have to do is is go through the redactions, but find the names. Not everybody is hidden in this document. Let's go find the agents who signed off, the, the agents at the FBI who approved subpoenas or uh, were involved in the task force. Let's ask questions, find out who was involved and why. And really, what happened? Because if four years before his death, there was a plot to kidnap, this is a serious red flag. Yeah, and it looks like it's been generated also by the uh, violent crimes unit at the FBI, so they're serious. Most redacted reports get ignored by detectives or investigators because of the redaction. It's like, I'm not going to go there. But we need to sit here and just knit this together. It'll be like doing a puzzle with a blindfold on. Let's get going. Again, the files were heavily redacted, meaning that an FBI agent had gone through each page with a big black pen and obscured any words, phrases and information that might be sensitive. Authorities redact for many reasons, to hide facts, to protect the name of an informer, to preserve life, to ensure public safety, and on it goes. But with Junior's file, it was seriously redacted. I showed them to former FBI agent Jim Ellis and asked him for his opinion on the sheer level of information that had been removed. They surely redacted like crazy for something that's 25 years old. I was shocked at the amount of redaction. Is such an extreme level of redaction normal? No. Well, the Bureau sits on, I mean, we don't, they don't run to the media. And the JFK's people didn't run to the media, then it's, it's not going to be, nobody's going to know about it yeah. until somebody finds out about it. Amongst the paragraphs blackened out, some key phrases and words remained, which enabled us to knit it all together. According to a report dated July 13, 1995, somebody called the FBI offering information about a plot to kidnap Junior in New York City. The caller told the FBI that the kidnappers, inverted commas, had determined that Kennedy rode a bicycle in Manhattan. It did not have any bodyguards, close quote. And the phrase armed and dangerous appears numerous times across the reports. Another says the security firm that handles security for the Kennedys has been appraised of the potential threat to JFK Jr., 
a representative from the firm advised that Kennedy would be notified. Close quote. James and I knew then that we had to keep digging, keep joining the dots. It was up to us to flush out this never-seen-before sensational report. We got to work. It's no doubt it's a kidnapping attempt on John F. Kennedy Jr. You, you agree with that? For everything I've seen, uh, everything you've seen. But how does it all start off? This is the big question. You've been going through your stuff for hours. We just need a source. Who's the informer on this? They seem to be taking it very, very seriously, the FBI. But in the couple hundred pages I've tried to knit this redaction together, I haven't got a source. Well, the document I'm looking at here, especially, is, is something of note for us. This is it's redacted, but at the very top of the document, it includes the FBI New York, the FBI Miami, FBI Jacksonville. There's a reference here to California. Whatever this is, this is a nationwide serious operation that is involving the highest level of federal investigators. There's so much to go through here. Yet your archives got hold of this massive file, of which I guess it's worth saying a whole third of it would be redacted, a third to a half of it redacted. But it's a little bit like knitting a, a sweater or a pullover. You lose every second stitch, but you can keep knitting. In the end, you're going to have what looks like a, a sweater or a pullover. We've got lots here to go on, but the point is we don't have an informer's name. We don't know who is given up on the who about this sensational plot to kidnap and possibly kill JFK Jr. That's correct. Every other line, essentially, where the detail and the specificity is removed. But there is something on every page that we can put together to try and paint a picture and fill pieces of the jigsaw in here. There's a mention of a California phone call from a tipster who contacted the New York FBI office stating that he had information concerning a plot to kidnap Junior. Perfect. And that would be in New York City. So how does someone in California know what's going to be going down in New York City? And that's just page two. So we've got to keep these notes and keep these red flags and piece together what we know and, and what we need to find out. Now, there was something about movements, something about what JFK Jr. was up to and how, I guess, vulnerable he, he was in, at this particular time of the attempted kidnapping. Well, I think from the get-go, this whole investigation is serious. And the most terrifying part is that Junior himself has been under surveillance. There's a page here which says that Kennedy was seen riding a bicycle in Manhattan and did not have any bodyguards. Is that... What? Is that normal? Riding a bicycle around Manhattan, that's, that's, that's... How would they know that? This is regarding the kidnapping plan, so whoever is the informant here for the FBI has such detailed and, and specific information that they know that Junior rides a bicycle alone in Manhattan. And now Manhattan's a busy place. If you're going to watch somebody, you've got to watch them closely. Yeah, yeah. And, and this will be a serious level of concern for the FBI. Well, that's also in amongst my documents that went through. The US Secret Service advised from head office that at this particular time, the former president's children cease from the age of 16 onwards as getting Secret Service security. So this guy's vulnerable back at the time of this alleged kidnapping. We also know that Junior was an arrogant guy. He he would want the privacy. He, he kind of decided himself what he did and didn't want. So even if his mother or, or the people that cared most dearly about him wanted him to be a bit more smart about his public situation, the fact he's riding a bike around Manhattan without a care in the world, the fact he's put himself in the position to be this vulnerable, to be surveilled by some serious, serious rough people, um, 
You'd think so. And But then again, normalcy's got to come into it, I guess, James. The guy's got to lead an, as much of a normal life as he can. But we'll keep digging into this and to see what villains are behind this. I think the, the reason that I'm so interested is this is only a, a couple of years before he actually was killed. So is this all part of a once conspiracy plot that still lingered? We're trying to find out how he got killed, how his plane hit the ocean. So there's, there's all this figure in. This is sort of 1996, 1997, yeah? This is July, almost four years before the day of the tragic accident. The informant's coming in. This is close enough to become a conspiracy. Who wanted to kidnap him? Why? And how large was this criminal operation that it went from coast to coast of, of America? I guess what fascinates me, James, that this seems to be really an entree to the death of JFK Jr. He, he dies in 1989. In mid-late 90s, we've got this file that just is massive. So it looks like it may well have something to do with it. Don't know. Yeah, I think the most important part and million-dollar question here is why was such a wide criminal network that spanned coast-to-coast, coast, California, New York, Florida, the FBI were involved, and the first tip looks like it came in as far back as 95, four years before the death, but continued almost up until the moment his plane hit the water. Mm. There are big, big questions hanging over these documents. And I've just snuck through to the end of this uh, massive wad of documents just to cheat, and it looks as if it, uh, the investigation was full on for at least a year or two. So it's getting close to when his plane ditched into the ocean. Next time on Fatal Voyage, the death of JFK Jr. There was talk that when they kidnapped John F. Kennedy Jr., they really had no intentions of doing a swap. They were probably going to kidnap him and kill him. But the exact details of what was going on or what their plans were, uh, it depends uh, also on who you talk to and where you read the, the documents, because there was talk of both, of actually doing a switch or killing him, burying him, and then pretending that they were going to release him and never would. The Death of JFK Jr. is hosted by myself, Colin McLaren. It's executive produced by Dylan Howard and Matt Sprouse and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavour Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson and Andy Tillett and the series is written by Dominic Utton. Reporting by Douglas Montero, the series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Adder. There is so much more to this story and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to Fatal Voyage the Death of JFK Jr. wherever you get your podcasts. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.